Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Certainty Talks. On this show, we talk about certainty, topic that feels more important today than ever before, but all in all, an important topic. Uh, today, I am doing a solo show. So Steve is out uh, again, and he's getting closer to what matters to him, which is his family. So I'm filling in for him and doing. Uh, going to be talking today about a topic that is critical to helping you make better content so you can sell more with what you're already doing. Now, we do this show because a wise man once asked us, how do we get closer to the things that we want in life without chasing more and more? That person was Dan Nicholson. He's a partner of, with Steve and I in the Whale Club. And we are here to achieve financial certainty by rigging the game in our favor. <clears throat> if you get value out of this show, please share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. You guys are going to hear us speaking a totally different language on this show, and it might cause a little bit of confusion. That's okay. We encourage you to keep the loop open. And please write your takeaways in the live chat. Uh, and after you've thought about it, put your six-word update in the comments below. The title for today's show is How to Make Content That Builds a Strong Brand, Connects with Your Audience, Builds Your Authority, and Most Importantly, Sells Stuff. That's what we all need, right? We want to sell more stuff. So let's dive in. I'm going to kick it off with a six-word update. My six-word update is a, a reflection I had from last week's show. It was refocusing my energy on my habits. So, you know, oftentimes what I what I love about doing this podcast is oftentimes it's a forcing function. It's another phrase that Dan uses in rigging the game. It means that sometimes it it points out some of the gaps that I have in my own life. And last week we talked about the process is the shortcut. And and what that means to me is it's more about your your daily actions, your behaviors that you take on a regular basis that are going to that are going to get you closer to the things that you want in life. And, uh, you know, like a lot of people, staying disciplined to my habits week after week is oftentimes, you know, easier said than done. So, you know, I made a, a recommitment to myself, my team, my, my family to, to focus on my energy on my habits and because the process is the shortcut. So, well, let's jump right in. I've got a ton of information to share today. And I'll be honest, it's probably going to come across a little bit like a fire hose to the face. Um, I've got a lot of stuff to share. Just recognize that at the end, I'm going to tell you guys how to get access to this information. Uh, we've got an entire mastery series that we're going to have for you guys and some, some cool bonus material at the end. So stick around to the end. I'm going to tell you how to, you can get some of that. But on this show today, we're going to go over five things. Number one, why your content may not be working as well as you'd like it to. Right, the content. All of us are in. Most of us are in real estate, and uh, we do a lot of marketing. We're sending direct mail. We're doing cold calls. We're doing um, SEO and Facebook ads and all these different things, making all sorts of content. I'm going to show you why it may not be working as well as you think it is. Number two, we're going to go over the five reasons why people decide to buy, or in this case, maybe it's sell you their house. We're going to go over the five reasons why people decide uh, to buy from you. Number three, we're going to go over the value systems that people use to make their decisions through. Uh, I'll give you a little hint. Some people make decisions through time or money, but there's some other value systems that you may not be touching on that you, uh, if you make this small tweak, you could be pressing those buttons and it's uh, you know, a, a good way to get people to uh, buy your thing. Number four, I'm going to talk about how to identify the false beliefs of your clients 
and completely bust them. The underlying false beliefs that they have that are preventing them from picking up that phone or doing that thing that you want them to do. We're going to tell you, I'm going to tell you a little bit today about how to bust those. And then lastly, we're going to talk number five, how to create an infinite amount of content through telling stories through four different lenses that I'm going to give you. So like I said, this is going to be a fire hose to the face. Stick around to the end because I'm going to tell you where you can get more information and watch an entire mastery series on this. I learned a lot of this stuff from our mentor and partner in the Whale Club, Nick Peterson, and he's got a, a course on this. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But this idea of how do we influence people, right? And let's talk about number one, which is why your content doesn't work. Well, the thing about influencing people is that people have a tendency to resist what they can see. The best example I think of is this is, you know, you walk into a store and somebody walks right up to you and says, can I help you find something? Immediately you get that, that sense that you're being sold to. Nobody wants to be sold to, but everyone wants to buy. So I'm going to introduce today a topic and a, and a phrase that you may not be familiar with. We call this stealth influence, okay? The topic of today's show is all about how to influence people without them actually realizing that they're being influenced. Because if we actually want to help our clients, we know that people resist what they can see. We know that nobody wants to be sold to. So we have to, we have to do things and influence people in a way that's actually beneficial to them, but they may not actually know that it's, that it's happening, right? Um, so that's what we mean when we say stealth influence, and, and that's the basis for today's uh, discussion. And so what I think when we talk about, number one, why your content isn't working as well maybe as you might like it to is because of something – that I've learned recently because uh, Nick calls it the intention intervention gap. I just call this like there's a gap between your actions and your intentions, you know? So everybody knows we should be eating healthy and exercising. Everyone knows that you should go to bed on time. Right. But how many of us actually do those things consistently? It's not a matter of like, do we know we should do this? It's a gap between there and actually getting them to change their behavior. So stealth influence is all about getting people to actually modify their behavior because we don't need to be told to brush our teeth. We don't need to be told to go to bed on time. We don't need to be told to eat healthy and exercise. These are all things I think we understand. It's a gap between knowing and actually doing. So we need to stop educating a lot of our marketing is geared towards educating people on what they should do. We're telling people. We're not showing people, right? We're telling people things like um, you can sell your house fast and for cash, and there's all these options to sell. We're, we're telling people things like this, and I think that's one reason why your content's not working as well as you'd like it to. Again, people resist what they can see. So we have to influence people in a way that they can't quite tell what's happening. And I'm going to show you a framework and the exact process on how to go about doing that. So again, as we start thinking about uh, uh, the, the, the gap between our actions, our intentions, we want to close that gap. We need people to actually make a decision and move forward. So telling people what they should or shouldn't do is not stealth. And no one wants to be sold. Um, 
we also have to acknowledge that people make decisions uh, differently. Some people make decisions through uh, what we're going to call the relative advantage. And there's actually, well, I'm going to go through this right now. There's five ways that people make decisions. And actually, this comes directly from the book written by Howard Gardner called The Diffusion of Innovation. He says there's five ways people make decisions. I'm going to go through them, and then I'll come back through, and I'll sort of break each one of them down. The first is the relative advantage. Second is complexity. Third is compatibility. The fourth is trial ability. And the fifth is observability. Again, you can take notes on all this stuff, or you can wait till the end and, and get some of the links and things where you can break all this down. So if you're not somewhere where you can take notes, don't worry, because we're going to have all this for you guys at the end. Number one, relative advantage. Well, how is this different from what I'm currently doing? Again, a lot of us are real estate investors. We're trying to get a seller to sell us their house at a discount. So one, are we telling them what the relative advantage is to most of the case, most of the time it's like them doing nothing. Maybe it's selling it on the market. Are we describing the relative advantage of our solution to what's currently being done? Number two, people need to see uh, uh, complexity. So for example, if it's a very simple solution and a lot of us are selling a very simple solution, we'll buy your house in cash and we'll close quick. Well, are you, are you explaining that in a way that's very simple for them to understand? Some of us also have, let's say, complex uh, deal structures like novations or creative finance and things like this. The best people who do that uh, are able to explain those things in a very simple way. So are you addressing the complexity of the solution and meeting those people where they need to be met at? Number three is compatibility. Um, people buy from people that they resonate with, that they like. And I think if you can show how compatible you are, think of core values, right? Do you have the same core values as me? When I'm buying something from someone else, I like to see that there's compatibility there. So oftentimes you may not be pressing on that button. And I, I guess I say all this, it's like, we're probably doing a couple of these really well. I know in my business, we do it fairly well. Relative advantage and observability. Uh, so, sorry, I'm skipping ahead a little bit here. Number four is trial ability. So can I try this first before I actually have to buy? Can I get a sense for what this is like? That's fairly difficult to do in our line of work. One thing that I've started doing in certain cases is I'll tell sellers, hey, we'll sign this contract and you can cancel for the next 48 hours, let's say. If for whatever reason you decide this doesn't work for you, we'll let you cancel within four, you know, 48 hours. A lot of times that's enough to push someone over the edge to sign that contract. What we also know is they're a lot less likely to cancel the contract at that point. So letting people trial your product is a good idea. And then lastly, observability. Um, can I observe someone else that has gone through this same uh, path, right? So if you're selling, if you're trying to buy someone's house off market, can you tell them a story about someone else who's also sold off market? Uh, Nick talks about an example of solar panels. You're much like, more likely to buy solar panels if you can see your neighbor has solar panels on their roof, right? So can we observe it somewhere else? 
Again, to recap, the five adoption decisions that your clients and your sellers are going through is they're trying to say, well, does this have a relative advantage over what I'm doing now? What's the complexity of this solution? If they can't understand it, they're not going to buy from you. Compatibility, how well does this line up with my core values? You know, you got to be able to, to tell them that. Can I trial this? Or is this like all or nothing? If I sign here, am I, am I backed into a corner? You might try to find ways in your business to, to let your clients have a trial period. You know, it's easy when you're selling, you know, let's say like a, an online course or something like that. And you're saying, hey, if, it, you know, if you don't like it after 24 hours or after a week or after a month, we'll give you your money back. Observability. Can they see or observe someone else having success with this product? So again, what I will challenge everybody with is, is to hit all five of those adoption decisions because not everybody buys for the same reason. You might be sending out marketing and communicating to your customers and you're just absolutely hammering the relative advantage and the observability, or maybe you're hammering how simple the solution is. Well, not everybody buys based off of those things. What I'm going to show you how to do is to hit all of those buttons, right? To press those buttons and cycle through them in your content. Because I guarantee you, you have people in your CRM that are just waiting for you to say it in a way that they would actually buy uh, based off of, right? These adoption decisions, somebody's sitting here saying, well, can I trial it first? They're not really talking about how compatible this is with my core values. And again, you might be making these mistakes inside of your marketing currently. So those are the five reasons why people decide to buy. Again, that was written about in the uh, Diffusion of Innovations, the book uh, by Howard Gardner, which has been around for almost 50 years. So I've observed this in my business. And what we need to do is that is, under, is understand that not only are people making decisions to buy differently, but they also have different value systems, which means not everybody's interested in money and time. Those are the first two value systems. But how about other things like the legacy that they're leaving behind? That comes up a lot when we're dealing with, especially older people that are selling their homes, let's just say, right? They want to leave a legacy. You've got things like authority. How does by doing this, how does this give them more authority? A lot of people, they value authority more than others. So are you positioning your product in a way that aligns with that value system? They could care less about saving money or saving time. They just want to know, does this product help me get more authority? Could be that they're after attention or let's say lack of attention. You know, maybe they don't want to put a sign in the yard. Right? They don't want attention from their neighbors. They don't want people to know what's going on. Or maybe they do want to show off their property. So you're going in here saying, I can buy this house off market and we'll close in two weeks. And meanwhile, they're like, well, I, I want to try to you know, get as much attention on this as possible. Again, you're just making an assumption on their value system. The last thing would be confidence. So how much confidence is this product going to give them in their life? Um, so I think it's really helpful to think through how are we touching not only the five different adoption decisions, but how are we hitting their different value systems? Because not everybody cares about selling a house really fast and getting cash. 
I think it's important to know that when we're making our our message uh, to these prospects or you know clients, sellers, whatever it may be, whatever you're trying to sell, we need to make sure we're hitting these different value systems. It's the first time I've ever presented on this, so hopefully it's going all right. Got a lot of information here. Um, so action items. First thing I want you guys to do now that we've talked about the adoption decisions and the value systems is we've got to get crystal clear on what is the micro step that we want our customers to take. That means it might be that like calling you is too big of a step for them. That's a pretty big step to pick up the phone and call somebody for a lot of people. It could be that you want them to go to your website and read some information. You know, maybe your first step is to call them. Again, I don't know. You, you probably know your customers better than I do. But is it to respond to a text? Is it to go download some ebook? Is it to go to your website? Is it to call us to get a free offer? Again, what you want to do here is you want to make the step as small as possible. Because what we're trying to do is build momentum towards us. And if you make that step too big, you're going to lose, you're going to lose people. So the action item that I want you to do, now that you know these adoption decisions and these value systems, is define the smallest step, the micro step, as we like to say, as part of the certainty operating system, that you want your clients to take. Get crystal clear on that. And then we need to acknowledge that, again, I'm just going to keep saying this, that people fundamentally have different value systems and they make decisions to buy differently. So part of why your content may not be working as well as you'd like it to, or your marketing might not be working as well as you'd like it to is because you're continuing to hammer the same thing over and over. And not everybody's going to resonate with that. Hopefully that makes sense. And you know, back to the whole stealth influence thing, if we want to actually influence people, we have to meet them where they are. We can't just assume that this message is going to resonate with everybody. We have to meet them where they are. And they can't know that it's happening. Right? That's part of it. Is we, we resist what we can see. So you have to meet people where they are. The best way to do that is by recognizing there's different buttons that you need to be pressing. So if you're in the whale club, You've probably already gone through this. We just went through this in our certainty process. I'm about to talk through uh, a worksheet that we use to start putting all this stuff together. I'm going to tie all these things together. And it's like I said, if you're in the whale club, you've got all these documents and all these worksheets and things like this. If you're not, you can follow along. And I highly encourage you to sort of take some notes and you can build out your own version of this spreadsheet if you'd like. Um. So what we call this is the belief buster. So again, we we've recognized that people make buying decisions differently. They have different reasons why they adopt things. And they also have different value systems. So the exercise that I want to do now is go through the process that we take our whales through. And I think you guys are going to really like this. Um, it's a process to, to identify the underlying false beliefs that our clients have. Let me give you guys a few examples so I can, you know, I can make sense of this. So again, I'm just assuming that I'm speaking to someone who's looking to, off, uh, to buy an off-market property. We're doing all sorts of 
let's say, you know, cold calling, direct mail, whatever. Well, the false beliefs that our clients might have, let's say, are things like, well, my house needs too much work. They're saying this to themselves. Well, my house needs too much work and no one's going to buy this. Or maybe like my house needs too much work and I don't have enough money to fix it up. Uh, I, I run into this all the time. People say, I don't want people in my house. I don't want to sell my house because there's going to be people all inside of my house and I don't want them coming in my house. I'm, they're very private people. Could be that they don't want to wait three months to get their money. You know, and this is a false belief that they're telling themselves. Well, in order to sell my house, it's going to take three months. Maybe it's, uh, you know, we deal with this a lot with elderly people, especially if someone has passed away and you're dealing with the spouse of someone who's passed away, there's a massive sense of overwhelm. I just don't know what to do. There's so many things going on. They're, they're very emotional and they're just overwhelmed. Right. And, and this is preventing them from moving forward. Uh, a lot of times they're just there. There's a reluctance that people will take advantage. And, I'm sure we've all observed that in real estate. There's people that will take advantage. There's a low barrier of entry in real estate. And there are a lot of people who will take advantage of you. So that fear, oftentimes, it comes from experiences that they've had. So what I want you to do is make a worksheet. And at the top, I don't know if uh, I can share this, but I'm going to go through it on my sheet here and kind of tell you guys what I'm doing. At the top... What I write is uh, a simple phrase. What do we need them to believe so that they will buy our thing? Right? What do we need sellers to believe so that they will call us, so that they will take that micro step that, we, uh, that we've identified already? We need to identify if I can just get them to believe this, they will take this action. So that's at the top. Then a line under that, I want you to write false beliefs. And we're going to start with one, right? So again, try to identify the number one false belief that your clients have that's preventing them from doing the action that you want them to do. And again, maybe it's like, well, my house needs too much work and I don't have any money to fix it up. Maybe that's your number one false belief. So I want you to write the false belief. Then next to it, I want you to write the experience that gave them that false belief. Maybe the experience is that their neighbors have been communicating to them for the last 10 years that they've lived there that in order to sell their house, they've got to fix it up. They've got to put some money into the property. Maybe it's that they've had family tell them, oh, well, if you want to get the most money out of the property, you got you to fix it up before you sell it. So try to identify. This, this requires a, a tremendous amount of empathy. Anytime you're trying to influence somebody, especially using stealth influence, uh, if you don't have empathy, you are going to be screwed, right? So this requires a massive amount of empathy for your clients and really understanding what they're going through. So again, you are going to identify the false belief. You're going to identify the experience that gave them that false belief. Then in a column next to that, I want you to write stories that they tell themselves, so everybody has a story that we tell themselves, that we tell ourselves, right? So the false belief might be, well, I can't sell my house unless I put another $30,000 into it. I don't have that kind of money, so I'm screwed. The experience that, that they had that gave them that false belief 
might be friends, family, neighbors telling them that you've got to put money into this house in order to sell it. And the story that they're telling themselves is, again, it's sort of reiterating what I've already said. Well, if I don't do this, I'm never going to be able to sell this house. No one's ever going to buy it. Maybe that's what they're telling themselves. So you should have these three columns. And at the top, you said, what do we need them to believe in order to buy our thing? You're going to identify the false beliefs that they tell themselves. I want you to start with one. The experience that gave them that false belief the stories that they tell themselves. And then lastly, this is where this is where it starts to get real good and we start to, you know, kind of use this to create the content. I want you to identify either the personal story, the the uh, let's say like the client story, someone who has over I like to call this the hero story, someone who has had the same problem and overcame it or use like parables. I mean, to be honest, things from the Bible work very well. Um, if you have parables or examples of someone who had a similar situation and overcame it, that works really well. So let me recap. Again, you should have this worksheet. At the top, it says, what is the, uh, what do we need them to believe in order to buy our thing? If we can just get them to believe this one thing, then they will I say buy our thing, the, the buy our thing might be the micro step you want them to take. Then under that, you're going to identify a false belief that they have. Try to start with just one, the number one false belief that's keeping them from selling their property to you. What's the experience that they had? What's the story they tell themselves? And then I want you to fill in a column next to that. That's either a personal story, a client story, a client testimonial, or a parable or some sort of like, um, you know, hero's journey sort of thing. And this is going to be really important as we kind of go into actually creating the content. So when you started with one, that's the action, you know, first step is start with one. But I want you to fill out eight of these things. There's a reason why we do eight. And I'll tie that back in at the end. But you're going to go through and kind of rank them in order. What are the reasons, the false beliefs, why your sellers are not selling to you. Again, it could be overwhelm. It could be, you know, anxiety. It could be financial distress. But but the, the more you can hone that and the more empathy you can have for your clients, the, the more you can get into their head and identify these false beliefs. This is difficult. This requires a lot of work, right? But I can tell you, this is the basis for all the content that, that we make in our business. And once you do the upfront work to create this, you'll have everything you need to create an unlimited amount of content. And I'm going to show you how to do that right now. So we all know that stories are very powerful. And the best place to look for an example of that is Disney, Pixar. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of something called the Pixar framework. I learned about this you know, fairly recently. And it's completely changed the way I, I approach my content. Uh, you, might have, you might be familiar with Donald Miller's story brand. And this is a, a kind of a variation of that. And I actually like this a lot better because it's a little bit more simple and easy to follow. And what I'm going to talk to you about now is called the Pixar framework. It's how to take these stories and tell them through a certain framework. Now, again, if you stick around to the end, 
I'm going to tell you where you can go to get videos on all this stuff, the master uh, series, mastery series that we've put out, and you can get access to the Pixar framework, exactly how to do this. So stick around to the end. I'll tell you how to get that. Pixar framework goes like this. Once upon a time, there was a seller named Sally. And every single day, Sally sat around looking at all the work needed to be done with her house and had this massive amount of overwhelm. All her friends and neighbors and family were telling her, you have got to fix this up if you want to sell it. And Sally felt trapped. She felt locked into this house like she didn't know what to do. She needed to move on from this, but she couldn't. And then one day she got a letter in the mail and it was telling her about a story of another seller, another neighbor of hers that had the same exact problem and how she was able to overcome that. So Sally was very interested and she picked up the phone and called uh, Bunny Hill Properties. That's the name of my company. And because of that, we were able to show Sally all the different options that she had to sell. And the one that she liked the most was the option where she didn't have to do any work to her property. And because of that, she was able to leave town and go be with her family while our company took care of all the necessary repairs. We were able to get her money very quickly so she could move on from this. And she didn't have to lift a finger to fix anything in that property. And because of that, now she's able to get on with her life. She lives in Florida. Everybody moves to Florida for whatever reason. But now she lives in Florida and she's with her grandkids and she's living the life of her dreams. And, and now she has, you know, this perfect life, yada, yada, yada. That's the point. So the Pixar framework, it, 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 it goes like this. Once upon a time, and we've all heard this. This is a reason why Pixar is one of the biggest names in stories. It's why, you know, I'm... You know, I don't have kids, but I would imagine a lot of parents are still telling these stories to their kids from their childhood. It's because they have engineered a system and a framework to tell stories that connect with audience and, uh, and influence people. That's essentially what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to influence our clients to take some action that we know is in their best interest. Uh, but we have to do it in a way that they don't realize it's actually happening. And we do that through, through telling stories. So, like I said, we're going to give you the exact framework for the Pixar framework so you can tell these stories in a certain way that's going to connect with your audience without it making it seem like you're telling them what's going on. You should sell us your house in cash because we can close quick. Again, you're telling them. What you want to do is you want to show them. Yeah, actually... This person that we worked with in the past had the exact same problem with you. And every day she went through this process of worrying. And then one day she found our company. And because of that, we were able to come in and buy this house from her without her having to make any repairs. Because of that, she was able to get on with her life. And now she lives in Florida with her grandkids and has the life of her dreams. Right? So, this is what I want uh, to, to really get at today is the power of telling stories and a framework to tell them through. So this next action item, again, is to, so let me recap. The first action item is to identify the micro step. If you don't have that, you don't know what you want your clients to do, the smallest step that they can take, you're probably going to confuse them. Are you telling them in one place to go to your website? Are you telling them in one place to text me back? Are you telling them in another place to uh, call our main line? 
or something like this to get a free estimate or, you know, a free offer on your home or something like this. Again, you, you need to not only be consistent with what you're asking, but you need to make it as small as possible. Because again, if that step is too big, you're going to lose a lot of people. That's what I've found at least. Right. So we identify the micro step. Then we go through this process of identifying the eight false beliefs that our clients have. Reasons why th what they're telling themselves, the accompaniments inside their head as to why they're not buying. Um, if we can identify those false beliefs, if we can identify the experiences that gave them those beliefs and the stories that they're telling themselves, then we identify a story that completely busts that false belief. Yeah. We had a client that had the exact same problem. Here's how they overcame that same thing by working with us. And now they have this desired outcome that, you know, of course, your client is also desiring. Right. So now they can see what's going on. You're showing them a process. You're not telling them what it can do for them. Right. This is going to influence your clients massively. I promise you that. If you can start telling stories to meet people where they are. We don't want to educate. We want to show people, not tell people. Again, people resist what they can see. So if you come out just like spouting all the features and benefits of your product, you're probably going to lose them. You have to tell stories in a way that they're going to connect with. So once you've got your eight false beliefs, you'll fill this belief buster worksheet out. Again, if you're in the whale club, you've got this worksheet. If you're not, you can probably just take what I just said and piece it together. Or you can stick around to the end and I'm going to have all these videos and you can kind of see this visually and you can make it yourself. So once you have those identified, all those different stories, you're then going to create your Pixar stories. So if you're the, let's say the, the uh, CEO or the owner of a, of a off market wholesaling business or a real estate investing business, what you should be doing is encouraging your sales and marketing team to make one Pixar story every single day. We did this inside of our business, and it was just an incredible volume of, of content that we can now draw on. Go back to all your clients. Think through, why did they adopt your product? Was it because of the relative advantage? Was it because they you know, uh, aligned with your core values? Was it because they could observe it being done by someone else? We've got five adoption decisions. Identify why they made that decision. Identify the value systems that they're making these decisions on. Was it because of time or money? Again, not everybody makes buying decisions because they can save money or they can get more time back. Some people could care less. They're interested in their legacy. They're interested in attention. They're interested in authority. There's all sorts of different ways and reasons why uh, people might do that. And then tell these stories through the Pixar framework because it has been proven for decades and decades to be a, a, a framework that influences people through, through the power of story, right? So once you've gotten your false beliefs, turn that over to your sales and marketing team and say, hey, I want you guys to start creating Pixar stories and write them out for the different false beliefs. You should have Sally and Sarah and Tom and Harry and all these different customers. And again, you can draw on personal experiences. You can also draw on other parables. I mean, there's, there's plenty of other examples and stories in the past 
that people can connect with. Bible verses and you know biblical stories are great. They work really well. So once you've got those different stories, this is where we turn it to content, okay? You can't get to this step until you've done the work to get here. So, you know, slow, I, I had to remind myself to slow down. I was trying to make content without actually doing the work. And so you've got to do the work. The process is the shortcut. We covered that last week. So go through the process to really empathize with your clients and get this stuff written down. Get your sales and marketing team to create these Pixar stories. And then what we're going to do is we're going to start creating content through four lenses, okay? Because not everybody um, is influenced in the same way. Again, we've covered all sorts of information. I'm aware this is a fire host of the face, and I'm throwing a ton of information out there. Uh, but I think it's really relevant if you want to create compelling content. So this is a worksheet that is provided, again, stick around to the end. I'm going to tell you how to get all this. But what I want you to do is I want you to write four lenses. There's four communication lenses that we want to communicate with our clients through. First is an actionable lens. So are you telling your clients what they can do? Take this action, right? The second is aspirational. So a lot of people like to hear a hero story. A lot of these these stories I've been telling about Sally on this show, that's an aspirational story. She was able to overcome some adversity and achieve the life that she wanted. That's very aspirational. But not everybody buys off of that. Uh, I'm an engineer. I make a lot of decisions off of number three, which is analytical. What are the numbers? What do the numbers say? Um, you know, in this case of Sally, maybe it's, uh, she was able to save a tremendous amount of time. She was able to get back three months of her life. She was able to sell her house for 80% uh, uh, of market value, which when the house was worth 60. Again, point is, is I don't know the specifics, but you, you got to put numbers to it because some people relate to that. And the last one, the fourth lens is the anthropological lens, which is essentially like, why do people do this in the first place? What is the, you know, the human behavior behind all this? So what you can do is you can take one Pixar story. Let's take Sally, for example. And once upon a time, Sally, again, you're not going to tell the story like this, um, obviously, because people will pick up on what you're doing. You use this framework to sort of give you a, a way to tell the story but you don't want to spit it out directly as I'm saying it, right? So you might not say once upon a time. You might, you might be sitting in front of a seller or somebody you know, in an interaction and you say, oh yeah, we worked with a seller a few months ago. Her name was Sally. She had a very similar situation to you. She had a house that had a lot of work that was needed to be done. Let me tell this through an analytical lens. And there was like $30,000 worth of work to this house. And because she'd lived in it for 20 years, she had built up almost 200 grand in equity. So she had a lot of money in the house, but she, she didn't want to have to pull it out to fix this house. She didn't know contractor. She wasn't sure who she could trust. And because of that, she felt stuck. She wasn't sure what to do. She didn't know if she wanted to take out a, a HELOC or maybe borrow money from family. And none of these things felt right to her. She just wanted to get on with her life. So we were able to come in 
and offer her cash and close in two weeks. So I think you start to get the idea. You're using numbers to illustrate that. If I was to tell that story through an aspirational lens, it's, it's what I've already done, right? You're not going to use numbers. You're going to say, yeah, she felt very overwhelmed. And because she did certain things, she was able to get the house sold. And now she was able to move on with this. And here's a picture of Sally right here. She's sitting on the beach with her kids and having the time of her life, right? This overcoming hero story. Um, so what you're going to do is you're going to take each one of these Pixar stories that you've created and you're going to tell it through the different lens. You can tell one story through four different lenses. Why do we do that? Again, because not everybody buys off the same reasons. Not everyone's buying because uh, of an, an analytical lens, right? They don't really care about the numbers. They might, you might, you might also tell that through an actionable lens. Yeah. So, you know, Sally had this problem and here's what she did. She went and researched multiple different ways to sell her house and realized that uh, selling off market to an investor might be a better way because she doesn't have to fix anything up. So what you can do is you can go to our website right now and you can type in your information and somebody from our team will reach out and we'll tell you all about this option. It's an action that they can take. Again, not everybody wants to have actions they can take. Sometimes they just need to hear the information. So, yeah, wow, a lot of stuff there. Let me try to recap again. This whole concept of stealth influence is, is geared towards how to make content that builds a strong brand, connects with your audience, builds your authority, and sells stuff. That's the whole point. We want to sell stuff. We need to influence people to do what it is that we want them to do without them realizing that they're being influenced because nobody likes, uh, everybody likes to, uh, to buy. Nobody likes to be sold to. So it has to be stealth. They can't realize that they're being sold. The way that we do that is through telling stories. We have to recognize that there's five adoption decisions. Not everybody buys because the, of relative advantage. This product has a relative advantage over this product. Great. Not everybody buys that way. Some people are going to buy because they resonate with your core values. Some people are going to buy because you can explain it in a way that's very simple and easy for them to understand. A lot of times, that's how, that's how a lot of people buy, just because you are able to explain it to them in a way they could simply uh, understand. Some people need to observe other people having done this. So you have to recognize there's five different adoption decisions. We also have to recognize that there's different value systems. Not everybody cares about money or time or closing fast. And if you're constantly pressing that button, you might try to press the other buttons. Shake it up a little bit, right? You can use the same exact stories, but just tell it through different lenses and press these different buttons. We have to acknowledge that fundamentally people decide differently. They have different core beliefs and different value systems, right? So you have to do the work to try to define these false beliefs that your customers are having. There probably is more than eight, but I would challenge you to do one at minimum and do as many as you can, but, it, but try to get to eight, right? Because if you can take those eight and you can tell them through the four communication lenses, which are the actionable lens, the aspirational lens. It's the same story. You're just telling it slightly differently. 
the analytical lens and the anthropological lens. Tell your stories through these different lenses and they will connect with different people differently. It's the same piece of content, just slightly repurposed. And if you can take the time to build these things out, build out your Pixar stories and train your sales team to use this, you will make a massive impact with your audience and I guarantee you'll get more people buying from you. Well, in this case, it's selling their house to you, most likely. So where can we use stealth influence as real estate investors? Where should we be using and telling these stories? I'm going to tell you you should be using them everywhere, but let's be specific. First is in your marketing, in your direct mail, or your cold calling, or your texting, or your SEO and Facebook messages, right? People connect with stories. No one wants to be told things. So if you find yourself being like, we close quick and we can pay cash, you're telling, you're not showing. Try to do that through a Pixar story. Try to identify. So like, what's the underlying false belief that people have? Um, and how have you told a story that overcame that? Right. So it might be a Facebook ad that shows a picture of Bob and how Bob had this hero's journey that he overcame. You're showing them in that case that Bob was able to sell his house for cash and close really quickly and get on with his life to whatever was more important to him than dealing with this headache. Now, that is a compelling story that people are going to connect with. They're going to say, oh, you know what? I have that same problem. They're not telling me. They're showing me the example of what it is. So I would use this in your marketing. I mean, TV, radio, all these, all these are up for grabs. And I'm really trying to think through how do we better use this across all of our marketing platforms, using stories to connect with people. I would encourage you to do it with lead managers. If you've got somebody who is brave enough, I mean, it, I, I think it's a pretty big step to ask someone to call your company personally especially in today's modern age, right? If you can give them a smaller step to take, you're probably going to get more people taking it. The bigger the step, the less people are going to take it. So first off is try to make it as, as micro step, as big of a, as small of a micro step as you can. Um, but when they do call in and you do get on the conversation with them and you're asking them, I hate the word, the phrase, why are you looking to sell? Because why triggers defensiveness? I'm sure if Steve was here, he would agree with me. Um, we don't want to ask why. We want to get them to explain their situation. And if you can arm your, your lead managers with these Pixar stories, you can say, oh, yeah, that sounds a lot like um, Mary, who we worked with just last week. She had a very similar problem. She was dealing with this house. Because of that, it was causing her all this stress. And then one day, again, you get the idea, yada, yada, yada. We want to tell these stories because people are going to say, oh, right. I understand what they're saying. And that sounds like the problem that I have. We're connecting it and meeting them where they are. Your acquisition manager should absolutely be doing this, right? When you're sitting in front of that seller, again, we want to show, not tell. Demonstrate that you understand. Chris Voss talks about this all the time inside of his book, Never Split the Difference. If you've ever read that, he talks about mirroring, labeling, and paraphrasing. This is another tool to add to your tool belt. Mirroring works very well. Labeling works very well. Mir uh, paraphrasing works very well. 
But if you can also connect it to, oh, that sounds like this situation. She had the same situation as you or similar. And here's how she overcame it. Or here's the actions that she took in order to get over that. Or here were the numbers that uh, she, you know, here's, here's the amount of money she saved or the amount of time that she saved. And uh, it tell things through these different lenses. Lastly, this is where um, I think there's probably a huge opportunity is through follow-up. And let's just say like drip sequences. You know, we're um, constantly getting leads that aren't, let's say, ready to buy at the right time. It very well could be because they didn't connect with one of the five adoption decisions there. They didn't see enough relative advantage. They couldn't observe it in real life, whatever. We didn't do a great job connecting with them. So as you're looking at your follow-up sequences, you might respond to them with a Pixar story, right? Hey, Jim, just wanted to reach out and let you know about a recent client that we just helped. They were going through a similar situation as you, and I thought it would be valuable for you to hear how we were able to help this person. Or actually, I would probably switch that around, not how we were able to help this person, but how they were the hero of their own story, how they were able to use our services to overcome whatever adversity they were having. And it sounded a lot like the situation you were in, so I wanted to send this over and let you know. So I think drip sequences and follow-up sequences are an excellent place to do that. But, but certainly try to find ways to inject this throughout your sales process. Um, because it's been massively beneficial. And again, people buy for different reasons. So if you're not getting the, uh, if you're not getting as many people responding to your content or your message as you'd like, try telling it through a few of these other different lenses. It might be just because you're hammering the same lens over and over and over. And those people in your CRM are, are waiting for you to just tell it in a way that their brain can make sense of it. Right? So not everybody makes sense of things the same way. Um, so you've got to kind of vary your message to meet your clients where they're at. And again, using these Pixar frameworks and using these tools that I've just laid out here will give you a, a playbook to create an infinite amount of content because you can create these false beliefs and you can just continue to add to that Rolodex. And then every time you get a new client or you, you they don't even have to be clients, right? You can just talk about situations that, uh, prospects have gone through and create these Pixar stories, constantly be creating new ones and arming your sales team with them so that they can start showing people, not telling people. That's what we've got to get out of. If you can do that and tell these stories through these lenses, people are going to be influenced by your message and they won't even realize it. That's the key to getting people to change their behavior is to get them to... to <laughs> They don't even know that they're being influenced at, the, at, at that uh, moment when you're speaking with them or sharing some message with them. And that's ultimately what stealth influence is. Now, I know that I just threw out like tons of stuff. We talked about the adoption decisions. We talked about the value systems. We talked about the belief buster worksheet and how you can create that. We also talked about the Pixar framework. Jesus, this is so much. And we talked about the communication lenses that you can then use to create this content. Um, so I went through this very quickly. Hopefully you got a lot of value out of that, but, but what I'm hoping is that you can realize how important it is to tell stories 
um, and, and why people connect more with stories. Probably don't need more evidence than Pixar itself, right? They've been using this for decades and they have one of the most influential frameworks for telling stories out there. So if you want to learn more about this, this is where I'm going to tie it all in, right? We've got an, a mastery series where this is all broken down over the course of five different videos. Wasn't sure if I should try to do this in one podcast or space it out over multiple. We did it in one because Steve's not here. I thought I'd just try to get it all in. But I realized there's probably a lot of potentially confusion and just a lot of information that I threw out. So here's how you can get access to that mastery series and the Pixar framework and all these different things. If you go to whaleclubfreestuff.com, there's all sorts of resources there, but you scroll down a little ways, you can see our mastery masterclass series. There's a button. You can click that button. It says, get the stealth influence uh, videos, mastery series. I don't know what, exactly what the button says, but point is, is you go to whaleclubfreestuff.com. You can find a button there. Click that. You can get the stealth influence videos, some of the Pixar frameworks and things like this. Again, if you're in the whale club, we're going to provide all of these resources to you. But for everybody else, you can watch these mastery classes and learn how to make content that builds a strong brand, connects with your audience, builds your authority, and sells stuff. So thank you guys for tuning in today. Hope you got a lot of value out of this. I know it's a ton of information. Hopefully, you will take this and make use of it inside your business to do uh, more with the current marketing that you already have. This doesn't require going out and buying more data. This doesn't require sending more direct mail or making more phone calls. It's a small tweak you can make to your messaging that's going to connect with more people and influence them to buy more of your stuff. Thank you guys for tuning in today, and we'll see you guys on the next episode.